Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Max Verstappen starts 2023 with a dominant victory at the Bahrain Grand Prix to strike fear into the hearts of his would-be rivals. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 1, the Bahrain Grand Prix. Red Bull Racing was the pick of the field after pre-season testing, but qualifying was surprisingly close with Ferrari, despite Max Verstappen leading a front-row lockout. It was so close, in fact, that Charles Leclerc decided to save a set of soft tyres rather than chase pole position in Q3 in the hope it would give him an ace in the Grand Prix. It did give him a great launch off the line to snatch second place, but Red Bull Racing's race pace didn't take long to be felt. Perez passed him easily with a second stint on softs that Ferrari simply would never have been able to manage. The tyre wear problems Ferrari hoped it had cured in the off-season seemed to have only got worse. And then Leclerc's engine popped, putting paid to any talk of reliability gains too. So Red Bull Racing recorded a very comfortable one too. But ahead of the struggling Ferrari and listless Mercedes cars finished a superb Fernando Alonso, who confirmed Aston Martin's outrageous off-season gains and its unexpected arrival as a frontrunner. So let's dive in to an intriguing first race of the season with this week's guest. It's former F1 driver turned pundit, Alex Jung. Alex, how are you going? Hey, good, Michael. Great to be here. It's the start of a new season, but you might be forgiven for thinking it feels a little bit familiar. Max Verstappen winning pretty comfortably. If you're being maybe a little bit unkind, you'd say, well, Perez was pretty close, which hasn't always happened. But is this roughly what we feared after testing? You and I spoke a little bit after preseason testing. It looks a little bit dire. Is this exactly it? Um, Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the results, Red Bull 1-2, you're thinking more of the same. And of course, we had one of the Ferraris retire, Mm. Leclerc, with a power unit issue. So... It looks exactly the same if you look at the results, but it's not. Um, okay, I mean, Red Bull do have come out with all guns blazing, but it's a lot closer than last year, you know. Um, you know, what was it? Um, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes were four-tenths off pole, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Okay, the race pace is a bit of, a bit further from Red Bull, but it was really, I, I actually think the whole field has closed up quite a bit. And, of course, we got a nice surprise, Aston Martin up there. When's the last time I've seen a midfield team take such a big jump that they're right in the mix with the top three. I, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Uh, it's, it's been a while. So it's, it's, I, I think it's set up for quite an exciting season, although you do have to say Red Bull are definitely on the front foot. Yeah, you'd think that jump's just about unprecedented. We will, of course, touch, in that, yeah. touch on that in just a moment. I want to talk about this little gap we have between testing and then that first race and what we ultimately got, because, of course, a part of pre-season testing every year is the hiding of performance, and also it's pretty difficult to analyse in the first place. But it felt like this year there was a real significant amount of cert- uncertainty going into this race, particularly about the teams just behind Red racing and even during the weekend and after the Grand Prix like I'm thinking about Ferrari as an example maybe we can start there but sort of felt a bit optimistic after qualifying and then ended up nowhere and Mercedes sort of grew in optimism as practice went on and then were quite dispirited after qualifying and even more so after the race is this one of the most mixed up scenarios you can remember trying to predict the form guide in recent years it's always a little bit tricky I I suppose um 
I, I I think it was a little bit mixed up in a way because we only had three days three days testing. Mm. Um, and and to be honest, um, I expected more teams to be in trouble. You know, uh, in previous seasons we've had six or nine days testing, so you'd often see teams really not really show up until the last test. But you know, the three days everyone got a decent amount of laps. Um, so I was yeah, that's just the quality of the of the teams in the in the championship at the moment that we didn't see that many teams have a bad testing, even though it was only three days. Uh, but is it mixed up? No, I don't think it was too mixed up. You know, we we saw after the the, the testing that Red Bull was strong. Aston Martin were there, um, and it was nice to see that they really were. And Ferrari and Mercedes a little bit off. Um, and I think that kind of did play out into the race. You know, uh, like you said, you know, Ferrari were a lot closer in qualifying than we thought. Uh, sorry, they only a tenth off in qualifying. Um, and Mercedes really grew. You know, in the race. You know, um, Hamilton's pace in the second. Second stint was very impressive. Second and third stint, so I, it, it it's close enough to make me think that, that this championship will ebb and flow this way this year. Um, I still think you know it's going to be hard to beat Red Bull and Verstappen. Not just that they have a little bit of a gap right now and everyone else. It's just because they operate so well. You know, as a team, they don't make mistakes. You know, they're they're such they're such a great team, making sure the strategies are right, making sure they get to the correct setups, and of course with Verstappen there. You just don't see him dropping the ball. But I think the other teams are close enough that um, when you go to a different track that might favor them or they just bring one small update that can that can help, they, they could be right on it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for at least. Let's look at Red Bull in particular and dissect that performance just a little bit because this is a really real limited circuit in the sense protecting the rear tyres is really crucial and this, we've heard a lot about it over the course of the weekend, the most or at least one of the most abrasive circuits on the Formula 1 calendar. So it really puts a premium on it, which means good downforce converts into good performance. But what I thought was interesting... And I mean, you can interpret the gap between Verstappen and Perez in many different ways. You might say, oh, 11 seconds, not too bad. Or you might say 11 seconds in the same car is terrible. But I guess considering that last year we saw that car go away from Sergio Perez, he seems to have quite a different driving style to Verstappen. Do you think it's possible that this car really can suit both of them in the way the team is saying? I mean, you obviously have plenty of driving experience. Is it possible to have a car that seems to suit Perez's style and Verstappen's quite aggressive way of driving? On the evidence of the first race we've just seen, I'd say yes. You know, I, I think Perez is only a tenth off this off Verstappen. If you when you watch the side by side videos, you know they were really neck and neck, and just Verstappen was a little bit better out the last corner, and it, and, and <laughs> the gap grew to a tenth. You know, otherwise it would have been hundreds of seconds between the two of them. Um, and also Perez's race pace wasn't so bad, although I do feel that Verstappen could have made that gap bigger if he wanted to. You know, you always felt that he had something reserved. You know, his pace in the opening 10 laps was fantastic on the soft tyre. And he still made it last longer than everyone else. So I think Verstappen has something reserved. But back to your original question, I do think the Red Bull has a bigger operating window that can suit both drivers. And it's interesting that both of them were saying that they want the same thing from the car. They want to push the car in the same direction from testing, which is always a good sign when drivers want the same thing. So... Uh, fingers crossed, you know, um, hopefully Perez can have a consistent year and, you know, who knows, maybe even surprise and challenge for the championship. 
I think we might need Perez to have a pretty good year if we want to make a, a little bit of a championship out of this. Although I like the optimism that it might not all be one-way traffic this season. We might have to hold on to that one for a couple of rounds at least. But let's talk about Ferrari now, because if we talk about picking up roughly where we left off last season, we would have hoped that Ferrari was able to resume the title challenge that, okay, petered out pretty dramatically last year, but that they hoped would be able to be reinvigorated with a better engine and better tyre wear and some updates. And even Ferrari was kind of surprised or seemed a little bit surprised at just how close Charles Leclerc got to Verstappen in qualifying. It was only about a tenth of a second at the end of the first runs, which was so impressive, apparently, uh, that they made really what was the race's first big strategy call, which was not to send Leclerc out for a second run for an attempt at pole, which he thinks he might have been a shot for, and instead to save those soft tyres for the race. So you'd have one fresh set of softs to start the Grand Prix on. It didn't amount to much in the end, it's got to be said, except maybe making Verstappen's life slightly easier by getting between him and Perez for the first stint and preventing Perez from uh, competing for the victory. What did you read of that call? Like, what did you make of that strategy decision, considering that, you know, it was interesting Verstappen and Leclerc were talking after qualifying and even Max sort of said, well... You know, my laps, my tyres aren't that many laps older than yours. Do you think the team really expected it to work or was it really a bit of maybe desperation to overcome what turned out to be a pretty big pace deficit? I think in hindsight, it was a good gamble. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, the, the, they would have, they would have, they were already done the runs from the long runs on Friday from the testing. They would have seen Red Bull have a big race uh, advantage, you know, um, and only, and while we're looking from the outside, we don't really know how that, that, that advantage is, but the teams do, because they know how much, they may not know how much fuel the other teams are running, but they know how much fuel they're running. So they'll go, okay, best case scenario with this, worst case scenario with this, you know? Um, and I think Leclerc with his engineer must have said, listen, okay, we had a good first run. I don't think we're going to get challenged for third. Maybe we've dropped to fourth, but if we save these set of tires, maybe we can split the Red Bulls, you know? Um, and I think that was a worthwhile gamble because I think I think they were probably thinking there's no way we're going to beat the Red Bulls in the race. They're just too good on race pace. So they thought, well, let's have a gamble. Maybe we can split the Red Bulls. I, I think they would have been very real, realistic about that. I, I don't think. Uh, I mean, obviously, you always go for the win, but I, I, I think um, they knew that they were on an up, uphill task here in Bahrain, especially. Um, and it did show in the race, didn't they? I, I mean, the Red Bull pace on the hard tires when you looked at the drop off. Um, and the ultimate pace was not really that much faster than the Ferrari, Mercedes, or even the Aston Martins. But on the soft tire, it was significantly faster, and also the drop-off was a lot less. So um, I do like the idea that um, Ferrari tried something different. It shows that they're being adventurous, um, and, and um, they, they know they will need to be a bit adventurous, I think, to take the fight to Red Bull in this early stage. Um, but yeah, the, the the soft tire drop off was too big. But and, and you know, let's save a set of new tires. You know, as long as we are in the top four in the first few laps, who knows? Maybe we can make something happen. It sort of reminded me a little bit, in a way, of Monza last year, where they made a bit of a gamble early in the race. They were criticised for it first, but in retrospect, it was just because the pace wasn't there, and they had to try something. And sometimes. So much of strategy is just trying something different to see what will happen. A certain uh, amount of irony that Leclerc getting ahead of Perez off the line, which I guess was the intention, even if Perez helped by having a pretty poor start, meant that Verstappen was able to kind of run away with it pretty early. That soft tyre pace uh, was really notable, though, as you mentioned there. The Red Bull tyre usage looked really comfortable, whether it was Perez 
doing a bit of a pursuit, I guess. I mean, I guess he knew he had the pace, he didn't have to push too hard, or Verstappen kind of cruising at the front. It, it's a difficult question to answer, I guess, because it's kind of, it, it's a grey area, but how much of a sense do you get that all these teams with worse tyre wear, Ferrari being one of them, Mercedes also didn't have that great tyre wear when you compare it to, say, Fernando Alonso, is a problem with the car, and that's one that Ferrari really wanted to address over the off-season, or purely just because they're having to push to keep up with Red Bull? Like, is the gap potentially even bigger than it looks for that reason? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have some cause for optimism, and, that, and that's because of something Fred Vassar said. Um on Sunday night. Um, but yes, the, the fact that the soft tyre was such a big difference, between, between, uh, but the difference wasn't so big on the hard tyre, tells us it's thermal degradation, right? They're just getting too much heat into the tyres. Now, it depends how much they have to play around with suspension geometry, um, downforce. I mean, it's obviously a whole package. But there are things sometimes teams lock into, like the, the suspension geometry, um, seeing where their roll centres are, um, you know, the um, anti-droop and um, how much uh, maybe anti-squat you can play around with the rear to try and manage and look after those tyres better. So there are solutions to try and fix that problem. And, and, and I think they, maybe Ferrari have got some ideas in the, in the bank because Fred Vassar said that um, he's never, you know, a car that's quick in qualifying can always be a quick race car. You just need to make the right, choose the right setup, maybe drive it suddenly slightly in a different way. Um, but he's never had a car that he could not make a quick race car that wasn't already quick and qualifying. And that's an interesting comment. So that means that they've probably got some ideas. Okay, maybe they're going to, they are going to play around suspension geometry because that really is going to be, you know, that, that can have quite a big effect on, on, on thermal deck, especially on the rear tires uh, when you play around, playing around with traction. So I'm going to be a bit optimistic here and say that hopefully they've got some ideas to try and help that. And, of course, this issue, you know, this is a higher, not all the tracks... You know, we, it's still too early to call. You know, like I said, Bahrain is a bit of an outlier. It is very hot. You do have uh, a very abrasive track, the circuit tarmac here. Um, and we really need to get to the European tracks before we know really how this is all going to shape up. It's a really good point. I do wonder how much value in that sense Fred Vassar brings purely in that sense that he's had so much experience with different racing teams and in different categories. Uh, you know, we talked about Matia Bonotto having the technical expertise, which undoubtedly he did rising through the ranks, but Vassar as a really experienced manager of teams well it'd be interesting to see how that motivates them one thing you can't do though is fix the engine problems extremely dispiriting i can only imagine considering that was obviously a point of focus in the off season for leclerc to have a failure they didn't understand admittedly immediately after the race but nonetheless didn't even see it coming i mean this is last year you know i like that in a way, I like that Bonotto said, okay, the original target wasn't the championship because we're still, you know, we came from fourth the year before, third the year before, we got to build into it. This year, that kind of stuff can't really afford to happen, can it? Not just for the points loss, but because this is Ferrari and it should be more serious than this. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're so right. I mean, Michael, we talked about this before, right? I mean, it sucks. I mean, that's <laughs> going to be a real, it's going to be a kick in the guts uh, seeing that, 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 that power unit failure. Um but the biggest question, even if they have great reliability, is whether operationally they can they can bring the fight to mm -hmm. Red Bull. We know Mercedes can, you know. Mercedes still look very strong in that sense. Um, but can Ferrari, you know, and that's a big thing about Vassa. You know, Vassa will be very strong in this, you know, because a lot of sometimes with the Formula One teams, you get a lot of, a lot of top technicians, you know, really smartest, brightest minds you can find, especially in Europe. Um, and they go some of them go straight into the into the race team. Um, into the, the Formula One team, and 
what they lack, a lot of these people lack, is experience with the junior formula. And in junior formula, all the cars are always the same. So all the teams focus a lot on the the um, on-track performance. So it's how the engineer interacts with the driver coach, interacts with the driver to get the most, and how you you know you really pay attention when the driver's messing around. In Formula One, you get so overwhelmed by the technical aspects, you don't really focus so much. Um, you already you just always think the driver's complete and the driver knows what he's doing. Um, and you, sometimes you don't really have an idea on, on maybe when the driver's lacking or making those mistakes or making setup choices that are wrong. Fred Vassar won't have this issue. He's a racing guy. He's done a lot of junior formula. He specializes in picking out the best talent. But, and he knows talent. And he knows, also knows when talent's not performing. So, you know, he'll be pushing the teams. No, no, this is not acceptable. You know, we were quick in qualifying. There's something we can try and find to do for the race. You know, he won't, he won't accept, no, there's nothing we can do. Um, you know, um, uh, whereas an engineer who's just come in and has only ever known Formula One and only ever known aerodynamics or specialized in a small bit, won't be considering the other solutions. But Fred Vass will be looking for other solutions. Um, and he won't accept that. And um, that that's, hope you know, and then nothing gets Bonotto because I actually rate Bonotto really highly. And I wish that kept him. I wish I'd been able to find, you know, kept him on the technical side and added Vassar, you know, because Vassar does bring a lot um but just one person uh, you know can, how much can one person do we talked about this before didn't we michael but having a spine of a team it's not just about having the team manager you need you need the spine through the team needs to be to be solid um and i wonder if ferrari have that i want to move a little bit further down the order now and draw a parallel between aston martin and mercedes two teams that had very different kinds of weekends i don't know about you but i enjoyed seeing fernando alonso unusually happy i don't feel yeah. like it's been a long time since yeah. you've seen him look like this he's so happy he called lance stroll his hero unironically well i don't know that for sure but that's what it seemed like tell me a little bit about, and i don't know I, this is it's, it's such a weird feeling i was talking about this with someone earlier today but the way he was racing that car just before we look at the details of how he made it work seemed of a different era in a very positive way overtaking in ways we don't really see in formula one am i talking that up too much am i too much on the hype train um, no, a little bit. No, not really. Um, yeah, no, I mean, for, Fernando does race very well. And, you know, he has always got a lot of excess mental capacity but think about stuff. Um, but I still saw Fernando Alonso of old where he's very close to making silly mistakes. He's not as good a racer as Hamilton or Verstappen for that matter. Um, and we've seen in the past he does make mistakes. I, I think back to the Benetton era. When he went back to Benetton, was it Benetton or Renault? When he went back to <laughs> Renault after the McLaren fiasco with Hamilton, the amount of crashes he got involved, the amount of hail marys he did. Um, look back to when he with Ferrari when he's racing against Vettel quite often, he didn't quite get the didn't quite get the most of it as he should have, you know. And he, he does like to take a bit of hail marys when he when he races, which is exciting to race. But you saw these examples of going too close. Um, you know, first lap, okay, the touch by Stroll wasn't his fault. But when he tried to overtake Hamilton the first time and he got the car really sideways and Hamilton got him back, you know, that was could have ended in tears. He could have been backwards and out of the race, you know. So there were, there were I think there, were, there was a third moment. I think with Carlos Sainz yeah. at so, turn I four. I mean, the, the moves paid off. So you have to say fantastic, Fernando Alonso. But over a season, um, I, he's not as good a racer as I feel as Hamilton or Verstappen. And he does take those risks sometimes that can get him in trouble um and then i and i and when i saw him make those couple small mistakes i thought oh, okay so Alonso's still driving like that which would be exciting to watch but it won't play out over a whole season there, there will be mistakes 
I think it will be really interesting to watch. And in Hamilton and Verstappen, we've got two really interesting comparisons. Sort of like you say, bringing different qualities, but they're both at the top of their game. Alonso will be interesting to see. But the reason I draw this comparison is, of course, they're both Mercedes-powered. Aston Martin also buys quite a few Mercedes parts for the rear end of the car. One car had a great weekend. It really didn't win, wasn't in victory contention, but nonetheless had a great weekend. And the other ended with the team principal, Toto Wolff, deciding that it essentially had to be put in the bin and they needed to start with a fresh car concept. Yeah, yeah but that's kind of weird, Mike. Have you ever heard Toto Wolff say that before? That's the first time I've heard, heard him be quite negative about mm. the choices the team's been making since he took over. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, the timing of it. I mean, it started on Saturday night after qualifying before the race and continued at the race. It feels like something you'd expect him to say maybe some weekend in the future before another round after they'd gone back to factory and decided among themselves collectively in the way they do. Perhaps they still decide collectively, but it it felt more emotional than we come to expect of a guy who's normally pretty methodical about the yeah. way he goes about his public statements at least yeah that's very true i mean i that, that was a that was that was a very big eye opener to me and yeah i mean you you know yourself i mean it's very interesting and, and i wonder do you think that maybe he's trying to bring change from within the team or that's a rallying cry it's interesting because there's obviously been a car, we, and we talked about we talked about the spine with Ferrari, for example, recently. There's been a lot of change in the Mercedes head of performance regions, head of aero, even head of engine. They've lost a lot of people. Some of them to Aston Martin, weirdly enough. Some of them to elsewhere. And you know, I feel bad to say it should all be on their heads because it's much more than that. There are hundreds of people who work for these teams, but this is the first car concept that's come from what we might call the new Mercedes heads, and it hasn't worked. And I can't help but wonder. Whether, as much as Toto's love to use this phrase, you know, there are no holy cows in our design, as in they'll, 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 they'll be free to change if they feel like that's the case. They did stick with the design from last year that didn't work. And I understand they believe there was pace in there and they wanted to get rid of the bouncing and hoped it would work. I, I get it. But the fact they stuck with it was an active gamble, wasn't it? Like they actively d- decided that they weren't going to learn from other teams and go their own way for a second season. The fact that Toto's now after one round said, no, that's a mistake, that to me does feel like a bit of a a bit of a slap in the no-blame culture. Is it is it possible he does not have absolute control? Is it possible that there's some, some thinking going on for certain parties within the team that he's not able to quite control and he's trying to influence that change because you do get that in teams you know um and this is what's so exciting about aston martin is i i know uh some guys they've pinched some guys from red bull pinched some guys from mercedes um and the way aston martin has just changed you know that 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 is an incredible change and that doesn't count that that's that's because of a couple key people you know you just talk, said about how Mercedes has changed so much. So maybe they've had new people coming in and maybe Wolf's not agreeing with something that's happening there. And he's trying to actively influence that change and trying to tell these guys to put pressure on them, which is interesting. He's never had that tactic before because he's always had the technical team he agreed with. And that team was always going in the way he wanted to. And when they were winning races, you couldn't argue with that. But now they're not winning races. There are new people in there that you just said, said, Sounds like he's trying to influence change in the team. Maybe he doesn't have the absolute control we all assume he has. Um, and nor should he, I guess, because he's not as technically minded as the people he hires, right? But it's interesting how Aston Martin has made such a big change. 
And that is down to a few key people. I'll be looking out for the names. Yeah, I, I think it is really interesting. But the background also being that Lewis Hamilton's in a contract year now. I don't think he's going to walk away or anything like that. But of course, negotiations are negotiations. And I think what will be really telling, as I guess maybe a point on that, is if we see James Allison reappear, who's still contracted in a sort of... Uh, I don't even think he's technically part of the race team at the moment. I think his role is chief, chief technical officer, but it's more broad management in the bigger Mercedes company than the F1 team. But I, I think if he reappears, who was a Toto Wolf ally, that'll be interesting. And look, we don't know if that'll happen, but that could be yeah. a point. Because cause that's a really good point, because this is what's interesting, because you know how we always talk about Newey, right? Decades of uh, decades, Newey. Um, and then Rory Bryan did, did the Ferrari, right? You know, who's the designer for the Ferrari, you know? Um, and Newey's just been there forever, you know? And, and it, it, I feel that there's some new people coming in with a new set of rules that have come in over the last couple of years. And there's some special talent that's come in, and I, I'm not really sure who they are. But it feels like a new Newey here or there that's come in. And I'd be very interested to find that. I don't think they need a James Allison. You don't need a management person. We need the talent that's understanding how the whole package works. And, and I, it feels like this sort of a jump when you see with um, Aston Martin. It felt a bit like when Newey went to Leighton House or went to Williams, you know, the sort of change that you, you could just do and that's what happens when you get a couple of people who are really 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 good and it's not management it's it's the designers you know it's the engineers um so yeah be, this is a story that we should follow this year i think and find out who in aston martin's come over and done such a good job with the cars yeah undoubtedly dan fellows is going to get a lot of the plaudits if this car continues to be as good as it looked over the course of the season which i mean why wouldn't it look at least close to as good as it did what looked most impressive from the outside with this car because like you said as we said earlier on it's it's almost unprecedented in modern formula one this size step must be unprecedented the closest i can think of is braun gp right but that was at least the first year of new regulations not the second year when it feels like the order should be a bit more established and was a a little bit of a different year i mean no cost cap and things like that it was a bit different and was a previously manufacturer team what was it about that car to you that just looked like it was working on such a level above ferrari and mercedes can't tell anymore you know, um, 10 years ago, we used to, because uh, I, I, uh, I had used to have this argument with my engineers all the time, because 10 years ago, you could kind of tell, you know, like you talk about the Braun era in 2009, the double diffuser that came in. Um, they, I think Williams and one other team had the double diffuser. No one else had it. And that's what won them that, that championship that year, because um, no one had that clever interpretation. And once Red Bull figured it out, you know, they were a quicker car, car in the second half of the season. Again, Newey, you know, made that, 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 that change. Um, so this, these days I have a really close look at the car. It's really hard to tell the difference. It's such fine details. Whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, you could see come things and things come into the car and go, Oh, wow, that looks quite clever that that could work. But I, I have this engineer, this argument with the, my ex F1 engineers I keep in touch with. They, Cause I always say, Oh, I always ring them up in the winter or in, in, in the, the springs. Oh, this car looks quite promising. And they will say, listen, mate, you can't look at that. You just can't tell. There's so much stuff that goes underneath the skin. There's so much of the complete package that is really, really important. Um, and and um, it's never just, just one thing, you know. Um, and I think nowadays it's, it's impossible. It really is impossible because the cars look so similar. So uh, it, it, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. Um, we need someone more technically minded, I suppose. But um, it does look like the Red Bull, doesn't it? Um, so uh, the name escapes me. The main, the technical directors come from Red Bull. Um, so obviously they've come with that, that, that philosophy. 
Um, and, and you know Red Bull would have hired some talent. Um, so it's obviously not a copy of Red Bull, but there are a lot of similar concepts. And I think that's worked really well. And like you said, the, the side pods of the Mercedes, maybe it is a bigger effect than, than we realize. Because the Aston Martin, the engine, the rear end, the gearbox, the power unit, that's all bought from Mercedes. And for them to be quicker than Mercedes right now, it's going to be a bit of a... A little bit embarrassing for Mercedes. That is the really telling blow, isn't it? Further as well, that Fernando Alonso, after having a, a less than perfect start because he was well, almost tagged or just about tagged by his teammate Lance Stroll, made his way back up through the pack, didn't even really have to do anything strategically different to Lewis Hamilton to get past him anyway. Was originally going to go for quite a long overcut, only made it a couple of laps before they brought him in anyway and still comfortably had that tyre usage. And again, that's... The question mark for the future races, isn't it? How much of this is pure performance versus being able to keep the tyres really fresh? That's the one answer we don't really have, but was able to really cruise past quite easily. And this was a race strategically that was decided largely on how good your tyre wear was. So that's something I think to keep an eye on, especially in terms of the difference between those two cars that should be quite similar, even designed in the Mercedes wind tunnel. Yes, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I hope they're there the whole year. You know, I hope they can fight on all fronts. And I, I think they can. Now, there are a couple of other things I want to run through before I let you go. And these are the two teams I think we expected and certainly they hoped might have been in the position of Aston Martin. Although I don't think anyone really believed that they would be quite that high, but in the position insofar as they joined the front runners. And they are Alpine and McLaren, two teams that experience pretty different weekends. Alpine, maybe there's a bit more hope for than McLaren, I think it's fair to say. But... I think two examples of teams that, again, to compare them to Aston Martin, don't feel like they're grasping opportunities in what's a pretty tight midfield. I mean, Esteban Ocon, for example, had just a, such a sloppy race. And, I mean, in a midfield as tight as this, that kind of stuff can't be allowed to happen, really, can it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ocon was yeah, it was a race to forget for him. It was pretty awful. Um, but yeah, uh, McLaren, I, I don't feel very hopeful for them. You know, the, the, all the, the body language, what's coming out of um, Zach Brown's mouth and stuff, he, he, when he talks about the updates coming, I'm not optimistic. I think that, that team's in for a very hard year. Um, uh, yeah, and, and we, I think, Michael, we talked about this. During the winter, they said a couple of things that was a bit concerning, and it's been showed how slow they were in preseason testing, and the race was not good. I, I don't see McLaren, it's going to be a long-term before they, they can change it around, I feel. Um, Alpine, though, not too bad. Yeah. Um, Gasly, wow. <laughs> he had a great drive. Where did he come from? I, I wasn't even paying attention to him. And then suddenly he was there uh, fighting the top 10 with a three pit stop. Um, obviously, yeah, I mean, the, the car's not bad, right? Um, it, it's nowhere near good enough to be challenging for the top three like they hoped for. But um, I still think they can, well, they won't be fourth now because Aston Martin's there. But I, I think they can still be better of the rest. And it doesn't feel like they're that far away. It just feels like there's, they're not quite executing perfectly yet. Um, and I think once they start executing perfectly, Alpine will be at the front of the midfield. And when I say midfield, I'm not including Aston Martin in the midfield anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is only six cars, the midfield, depending on whether you include the back market. So it was really contrasting fortunes for the Alpine drivers. Gasly came from 20th with three stops, as you say, and really, 
I don't want to say tricked, but sort of forced so many of the midfield cars into three stops to follow him. None of them could cover him in the end. He was the one who finished head of that pack just behind Valtteri Bottas, who was the, the last of the two stoppers in the Ford uh, pack. But Esteban Ocon, penalty after penalty, one for being the wrong grid spot, then for speeding in the pit lane, then for having his car worked on before serving his penalty. Eventually they retired him. I'm not actually sure why they retired him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just had enough <laughs> penalties and decided they didn't want any more. Yeah. But McLaren, as you say as well, I mean, the dispiriting thing here is that it's the second year in a row they've turned up quite undercooked. And again, it is, and this is going to be something I suspect we'll come back to several times during this season, considering the midfield looks so tight. I mean, Williams scored points really quite meritoriously this weekend, just to illustrate the point. But to not get everything out of your weekend is going to cost you points and, and massive positions. And I mean, obviously, Lando Norris had no hope. His car had problems. But even the fact that these little problems crept up, an electronics problem for poor old Oscar Piastri and this pneumatic one for Norris meant that a potential point has gone missing and who knows what that's going to pay for by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, McLaren were able to turn their seed their year around last year, weren't they? Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just, I, I, it feels a lot worse this time around. I, I, I think they they can do it. They're capable of doing it, but um, it's going to take them a while. Yeah, it's I, I I have similar concerns, especially considering the way that Haas and Williams, in particular, less to a lesser extent, Alpha Tauri, but that they've made pretty reasonable steps themselves. That makes it feel like it's no given that M- McLaren might be able to just hold fifth or sixth. They're really going to have to fight for it, and races like this really don't make you so optimistic. So. An interesting race in the end. A pretty dominant performance by Red Bull Racing, it's got to be said. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez in 1-2 formation, almost 40 seconds ahead of everyone else. Just whisper it for now, but it is a particular track, so there is reason to be hopeful for future races. Alex, a real pleasure to talk about the season opening race with you, and let's hope for a great season. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me, mate. There's no getting around Red Bull Racing's foreboding race pace, and Verstappen was clearly engaged in cruise home mode from early in the race. But Bahrain is a particular circuit with really high tyre wear, and the promise of Ferrari's qualifying pace shouldn't be discounted completely. Max is obviously the unbackable title favourite, but there's reason to be hopeful that this won't be a total whitewash of a season. Thanks very much to Alex Jung for joining me. So that was the strategy report from the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix. You can subscribe to the strategy report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The strategy report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. And just before we wrap this one up, a quick shout out to our sister podcast Pit Pass F1. Hosted by esteemed journalists Chris Medland and Julianne Serasoli, Pit Pass F1 brings you bite-sized podcast updates from every Grand Prix weekend direct from the paddock. Search for Pit Pass F1 in your favourite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcasts.com. The Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is coming up in a couple of weeks. My name's Michael Amanato and I'll chat to you then. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.